The following was recorded by the Zen Society, located in Shemong, New Jersey, near Philadelphia. Please visit us at thezensociety.org. Whenever the path is blocked, back up and see more of the way. We are each a mountain for the other to climb, and often our path to love is interrupted by a mishap or a problem or something unexpected that needs attending. We tend to call these unexpected things in life obstacles. Often the thing in the way comes from another person. A stubbornness falls like a tree blocking where we want to go, or a sadness comes like a flash flood to muddy the road between us, or just as we go to rest in the clearing we have prepared, we are bitten by something hidden in the undergrowth. Thus, in daily ways, we have this constant choice to see each other as the stubborn, muddy, biting thing that blocks our way, or to back up and take in the whole person as we would a mountain in its entirety, dizzy when looking up into its majesty. When we are blocked in our closeness with another, we have this constant opportunity to raise our eyes and behold each other completely, then to kneel and lift the fallen tree or cross the flooded path or pluck and toss the biting thing. We have the chance to keep climbing, so we might cup the water that runs from each other, so we might quench our thirst as from a mountain stream, knowing that love, like water, comes softly through the hardest places. As for compassion, it is a deeper thing that waits beyond the tension of choosing sides. Compassion is practice, and in practice does not require us to give up the truth of what we feel or the truth of our reality, nor does it allow us to minimize the humanity of those who hurt us. Rather, we are asked to know ourselves enough that we can stay open to the truth of others, even when their truth and their inability to live up to their truth has hurt us. We have a tendency to often move away from pain, which is helpful only before being hurt. Once in pain, it seems the only way out is through, like someone falling off a boat, struggling to stay above the water, only makes things worse. We must accept we are there and settle enough so we can be carried by the deep. The willingness to do this is the genesis of what most refer to as faith, the giving over to currents larger than us. Even fallen leaves float in lakes, demonstrating how surrender can hold us up. So I asked you, when we began this evening, to watch this film with an openness, 
and to note those moments <coughs> in the film that stepped out at you, jumped out at you, uh, meant whatever it was it meant to you. And I can remember the first time uh, watching this film and I purchased it as a personal effort because I remember the day and exactly what I was doing and my reaction to the news that came over the television while I was cleaning the monastery that uh, nine small children were gunned down in Paradise, Pennsylvania, and that they were Amish children. And in that moment, it was as if all sounds ceased for me, and I was paralyzed, literally. I found myself on my knees before the television screen while the newsman went on to explain and the, and the video was showing the police arriving and all of that. And I can remember weeping. And I'm sorry I don't have it with me tonight. And if you want to read it, you can go to my blog. Uh, I was moved to write about it later that week as part of my own process of attempting to reconcile in myself, I remember hearing myself saying out loud, Amish children, children. And uh, when I learned of this film, which was born, or at least was born out of that as one of the many tragedies portrayed in the film, uh, I decided to purchase it really for myself, watched it and found it to be very helpful and decided to start to share it with you. So, in the year 2011, at that time, today, 41 years as a monk, but in the year 2011, my tenure as a monk became challenged. Someone I love deeply betrayed me, deeply hurt me, and I can remember that day today and probably 20 years from now will remember that day when I realized that injury uh, laid upon me by someone who I love deeply, someone who I trusted more than I ever trusted before. And if you recall in the film, the issue of trust uh, came up. And for me, since then, I have looked at forgiveness, compassion, and trust very deeply both on a personal level, and that is a teacher responsible for communicating uh, about it. And tonight, as we talk about it, as I asked you earlier to be open to the possibility of learning something different about compassion and forgiveness, I want to say that, as Thich Nhat Hanh says in the film, and fundamental to all Buddhist teachings is this notion that nothing is possible without compassion. One cannot even think of forgiveness unless one has compassion first of all and primarily for oneself. And tonight I want to invite you to think of compassion and forgiveness as twin brothers, twin sisters, one supporting the other, one not possible without the other, 
one, the fruit, but more importantly, when we talk about forgiveness tonight, I will ask you to think of it as I have lived it and learned about it, more as a means as to an end. And I think that our difficulty to forgive, and I will refer to that personal experience in a moment to explain this even deeper from a personal place, that difficulty to forgive is often a function of us seeing forgiveness as an ends rather than a means. So my brother and dear friend Arnold up front here asked me to tell him Webster Buddha's definition of the word forgiveness. And what he didn't know was he was turning me on. <laughs> because I remember the first time I read that definition and often, if you've known me long enough, you have heard me say, forget the Bhagavad Gita, the Bible, the Torah, uh, the Koran. Get yourself a dictionary if you want your life to change. <laughs> and as I have learned ever since I spoke those words some 30 years ago in one of my first seminars, uh, we often use words that have nothing to do with their real meaning. And I remember the day I looked up the word to, uh, forgiveness or to forgive. And Webster Buddha defines forgiveness to give up, as in resenting. To just give up that whole activity. And again, if you listen to Thich Nhat Hanh, fundamental to Buddhist teachings, our enemy is not our fellow human beings. Our enemy are the poisons of life, three of which the Buddha identified as anger, resentment and folly. So when Webster Buddha writes that forgiveness means to give up, as in resentment for, it is literally to give up resenting, because resenting resolves nothing. To give up being angry or expressing anger. Once again, uh, Buddhism says all of these emotions that we encounter in those moments when we have been hurt are very natural reactions of ego delusion or egocentric consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's very natural. You know, uh, when you listen to this, the uh, scientists talk about how in that moment we are hurt and we want to strike back, the brain naturally lights up all the pleasure centers. Mm -hmm. It's a natural thing because, again, that part of our consciousness is that primordial part of our consciousness. So when we are injured, the mind, and again, on January 23rd, you need to come back and take the seminar where we talk about the anatomy of the mind and how it's operating from moment to moment because in Buddhist teachings, nothing's possible unless you understand that. So one of the things to understand is that the mind does not discriminate between him telling us we're wrong and him pointing a gun at us. It reacts with the same survival reaction because in our ignorance, which was one of the causes that the Buddha talked about as the foundation of all the other forms of ignorance. In our ignorance, again, 
we have come to believe that what we are are our thoughts and our beliefs, our feelings and emotions. And when those feelings and emotions are challenged, the mind sees the challenger, the predator, the opposition as a threat to us. So that reaction, that initial reaction, where the pleasure centers of the brain lights up immediately, is a very natural, primordial reaction. But as the pastor said, or as, I'm sorry, as the Sufi said, when we are living from there only, we are living at a very low vibration level. And we need to focus on the higher vibration levels, which is compassion and forgiveness and loving kindness, as the Buddha would say. So you need to know that when this person hurt me like no one had ever hurt me before in my life, I, I want you to really understand that this was a, an injury that challenged the very core of my life as a monk, my life as a person who had, since the time I was seven years old, pursued living spiritually and, 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 and all of that that comes with it, came to the surface. And I was challenged like I had never been challenged before. But here's something you need to know. For some reason, for some reason, I did not hate, I did not want to hate, and I was angry, I was deeply hurt, so much that uh, I attribute having two heart attacks to year, a year or so later uh, from all of that stress with that. And so my injury was very different than where most people come to me and talk about their injury. I did not want restitution. I did not want uh, vengeance. I did not want to hurt this person for what they did. Uh, what I wanted was freedom. What I wanted was to be free because I was really clear that something, I was stuck. And I was stuck in that pain and that disappointment and that sense of, you know, again, betrayal. And a moment ago, I asked you to think of forgiveness tonight, to think of compassion as a means rather to an end. Because it was Webster Buddha's definition that I had read 20 years prior to that moment uh, that really helped me launch my own healing process. That isn't over. And I want to say that also. One of the other problems when we see forgiveness as an ends rather than a means is that we think that when we forgive everybody who's hurt us, we're going to feel much better. Uh, I was giving a talk at the Yoga for Living one night and it wasn't too long after that event in my life. And this elderly gentleman came up to me and, uh, and introduced himself. And he told me he was a widower. And he had just buried his uh, soulmate, his best friend, his wife, his lover of some 50-some years of marriage. And he asked me, you know, uh, do we ever get over that kind of loss? Do we ever get over the loss of someone we love deeply? And my response to him was, no. What about time, he asked me. I said, there are some things even time cannot heal. Then what do we do, he said. 
he asked me. And I said, we learn to live with it. We learn like, you know, uh, Jacob and the angel. Is it Jacob? Or, I always get those names. I think it's Jacob. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the angel. We learn to limp through all of it like the angel had to. So uh, forgiveness became a means and by definition is a means to a much larger ends than just our relief from that injury or from that hurt. And what I mean by that goes back to, again, the Buddhist understanding of compassion and the Buddhist teaching. I cannot give anyone. I can talk how I love the world, but I cannot give the world or you what I don't have. Therefore, again, if I, don't, if I have not by that moment learned compassion for myself, love for myself, uh, I'm not going to feel compassion towards you or for you or your situation, and I'm certainly not going to forgive you. That, again, the fundamental teachings we find all through all of the great teachings, all the religions and wisdom traditions and so forth, all state the same thing. That the, you know, the offender is only doing what they're capable of doing. And so it always comes down to, again, the school teacher, when she said to the middle school students, you always have that choice. And the question is, are you, are you able to make that choice? Now, Webster says, forget, to forgive means to give up, to just give up. So I like always telling the story about when the Buddha was confronted by an academic uh, who wanted to understand Buddhism and told him, um, you know, in that meeting that day that I've read about you, your teachings, I've heard about your teachings. Can you explain to me in a very simple way what is the Buddha Dharma? What are you telling us? And he said, I will tell you it, and you still won't understand it. And so he, he did. He said, when you find what works, do it. When you find what doesn't work, don't do it. <laughs> That's it. That's all the wisdom you need to have. So I also like telling the story about the first time I saw this in action, and it came from a small child. And that small child happened to be my nephew. And he was very young, maybe a couple years older than my daughter. And we were walking, my, his mother and father, my mother and father, and I and him were walking through the Cherry Hill Mall Christmas time. And he suddenly uh, wanted something in a story he saw. And he was told no, and he uh, threw a tantrum. And I was walking behind everybody watching this go on. And he was walking holding his grandfather's hand, my father, who stands six foot four, like John Wayne, and you know, and my mother, who's five two, uh, was yelling at him, uh, "Pick him up, pick him up!" And my father's like, "No, I'm not picking him up. He will just stop crying, or he won't stop crying." And that's the German-Sicilian battle that still goes on. <laughs> okay, so Ronnie's, you know, he's crying, he's screaming, he's dragging his feet, and. You know, my sister's now yelling at my father, Dad, pick him up! And my father, no, I'm not. And I was right behind him, and I heard my, my nephew say this. He said this. 
well, this isn't working. <laughs> and he stopped. And at that moment, uh, my father stopped. And he said, now what do you want? And took him back to the store and got it. So when you find what works, do it. When you find what doesn't work, stop. You know what I'm saying? So when people come to me and they say, I really hate this person, I ask, how's that working for you? you know? I really want them to feel my pain. I ask, how's that working for you? So forgiveness is a means toward freedom. It became, in 2011, again, after years of talking about it, reading the definition years before that, it became a means and continues to be a means for me every time. It is the act of just giving up what obviously doesn't work. You know, the Buddha said when you're resentful or you want vengeance on someone who hurt you, it's like, you know, throwing hot coals with bare hands at them and missing every time. So the only one that gets burnt is you. So again, as the theme ran throughout the entire uh, documentary, when we think of forgiveness, it is a practice which benefits us and ultimately extends outward and benefits the uh, object of our resentment and the world. Because again, the Sufi points out, we're operating at this high level vibration when we are operating from a place of compassion and forgiveness. And again, I'll talk about compassion in a second. And so it can only benefit the world. Uh, I was also struck, uh, again, this was my 20th sometime watching this documentary. And every time I watch it, you know, I always see something new. I was struck by the Sufi uh, suggestion that his teacher told him, which was, you know, I suggest you do something useful. And uh, I, I wrote about this not too long ago and talk about uh, fundamental teaching that I often tell people is that our singular purpose in life is to take all that we are and to always live it as a benefit for others. And so when people come to me and talk to me about being bored and unhappy, I often remind them, as I wrote about this in the blog, you can't be bored and helpful. And try it. You can't be resentful and helpful. True. Try it. So when you find yourself stuck at any level, in any situation, the best thing for you to do is to find some place to be helpful. You know, become a benefit somehow for someone else. And you know, what is going on there, whether you recognize it or not, is that you know, when we are benefiting others, we are stepping outside ourselves. And the more we get out of our way, especially when we've been hurt and injured and stuck in our unwillingness to forgive, uh, the more we get out of our way because of that inherent fact about us. The Buddha taught that you are compassion, you are love, you are these things. That's what you are. And so when we conceptualize life, which is what gets us in trouble, all the time, we find ourselves in our head, and again on the 23rd, we'll look at that in detail, how the story 
the narrative that is always running in our head about ourselves and him and her and the world, how that story literally gets in the way of any possibility for us. And the more we indulge that story, the more stuck we feel. So when you read Webster's Buddha's definition on forgiveness, to forgive is to just give up. What you give up is the story. You give up indulging the story. Now I tell people the story you call your life, even though may be filled with numerous facts and so forth, uh, ultimately is a lie. When you find yourself stuck in that story and it is preventing you from moving on. Remember, forgiveness is a means, not an ends. The same is true about compassion. Now what is compassion for oneself? Anybody have any idea? And what is that? To love yourself. To forgive yourself. To love, and, well, forgiveness is the fruit of that love, okay? So to lo- let's take to love yourself and forgive yourself and put that together. That is only possible, I have found, when you come from a place where, again, you hear what I said a moment ago. All of these, what we often refer to as virtues, forgiveness, compassion, and so forth, when they become a means towards something larger, that something larger is who we truly are, mm-hmm. you see? And that living your life authentically, as I've been writing and talking about for 30-some years, is the solution to all of our unhappiness. So whatever will free you up for that is what you want to be doing more of, the Buddha said. And compassion begins with the declaration, and again, just like forgiveness. Look, the pain, and you, you know what I'm talking about. When someone hurts you, especially betrayal, I believe I've had this conversation a hundred times and just recently the other day with someone who's going through it. I believe betrayal is the zinger. There's nothing more difficult to get beyond than when we feel our trust has been violated. Nothing. Nothing. I don't care what anyone says. I have not come up with anything close to that. And again, uh, when you realize how much of life and what you're here for and who you really are is being obstructed by your unwillingness, then compassion begins with the declaration. And the declaration, again, if compassion is unconditional love for yourself, What do we mean by unconditional love? We mean just that, unconditional. So it means, as I tell my students, here is the practice. The practice is this. Every single time, even when the mind, and you have to remember, the mind does not discriminate. So it will always come up with a rationale as to why you're bad, as to why you're not good enough, or someone else. So... You know, it's like uh, Thomas More said, if you wait for the emotion to get you there, it's not going to happen. If you wait for the mind it, and its storytelling nature as a way of surviving opposition and fear to get you to compassion, to get you to unconditional love, it's not going to happen. So it's got to be a declaration. A declaration. If you understand the power of declaration, the power of declaration is very much, I use the example of, In 1776, those people who wrote that Bill of Rights, 
and made that declaration hadn't a clue as to what really was going to happen. And if you know anything about the historical uh, uh, value beyond the fact that we became a nation uh, of that declaration, no one, you got to see this, no one prior to that day ever, ever, ever imagined all men are created equal and that all men were endowed with rights. Prior to that declaration on that day, kings had rights, lords had rights, they were equal, but you and I certainly weren't. And no one even considered that. No one even considered that. That's what made that day as powerful as it was and how it vibrated and changed the world forever. So a declaration has that power. And they had, not, they had no proof of that. They had no evidence. They had no writings before it where they could say, well, you know, so-and-so once wrote that we all had rights. No, it wasn't there. No one ever wrote that before. No one ever said that before. Maybe they were just talking about themselves hmm. and not anybody else. And yet that declaration of all people were endowed with inalienable rights and that were equal and had equal access to their rights had never been considered before. <laughs> That's the power of a declaration. The power of a declaration works like that. So you have no reason to believe what I'm about to tell you when I say to you, you are already a Buddha. I can't prove that to you. But that's what the Buddha said, and that's what I declare. You have no reason to believe when I tell you that all of these criticisms of yourself and others are all lies. They're all lies. They're fabrications of the mind. They have nothing to do with what even went on when you started criticizing and judging yourself. They have to do with something other than that long before that event. For example, when we talk about this in relationships, which is in February... Creating sustainable and fulfilling relationships. Am I doing a good job at yes. this? Yeah. <laughs> He's our new administrator and he watches me. Uh, when we talk about relationships, for example, uh, creating sustainable and fulfilling relationships, I, you know, I tell people, again, uh, it's, it's about just declaring that, you know, whatever shows up in the relationship, will never again show up for us as oppositional to the relationship. Until you make that declaration, there's no possibility for the relationship to work. So you make this declaration that all judgments and all criticisms of myself and others are nothing more than lies. Therefore, I tell my students, once you think critical of yourself, judgmental of yourself, you immediately act out of forgiveness and don't indulge in another second. Not another second. Not another second. Not one second. When you understand how to fight in relationships, and that might surprise you to hear it that way because you will fight. <laughs> it's part of being related. You just don't know how to fight maybe. And when you understand how to fight in relationships, one of the rules comes out of understanding what's going on in the mind when you get angry at him or her in that moment that for the mind that's feeling those emotions and that anger and that resentment, it's not about what just happened. In that moment, we are never angry about what just happened. That experience in our body is not about what he just did. It's about some unresolved issue from the past that the mind projects forward 
for you to experience in that moment. So when you understand that and really understand how that's operating in the mind, the ability to feel compassion for yourself, for him, for her, and to forgive comes all together. Comes all together. So I invite you tonight, and I'm going to get quiet now and let you do some talking. I invite you tonight to possibly reconsider when you listen to Webster Buddha's definition of forgiveness to just give up resenting, give up wanting justice, give up wanting whatever it is that keeps you stuck in that anger and that bitterness, to just give that up, to see that adopting and declaring compassionate and forgiving positions in your life is a means to everything you want and desire and will never experience until you do. And that changes the game rules all over for me. Your turn. <laughs> Based on what you just said, what Webster Buddha says to give up, as in resentment, does that, can it not mean that you can forgive more than once? That you can be forgiving and then begin to resent again when something happens? And then give that up. There's the same deed that, that you're that you're forgiving. Yeah. So we go back to what the Amish uh, talked about when they said, "This is something we got to do every day." Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, I, I'm going to talk about the same thing and this with the same definition from a different place. For me. Compassion and forgiveness is a space, a context that allows for things to show up. So when Jesus says, forgive 70 times 70 times 70, or however that is, that was brought up in the uh, documentary, yes, every single time you forgive. If you don't, like everything else in spiritual practice, and I talk about this whether we're talking about meditation, whether we're talking about keeping the precepts, if you are not consistent and you are not habitually practicing it the same way every time it doesn't work. So yes, every single time the story surfaces to resent, to hold, to judge, to condemn, to convict, whatever, every single time you let go of that. You let go of that. Thank you. Every time. If you don't, you're back to the beginning. It has to be a practice that is habitual every time. Now, again, it doesn't mean you don't feel those feelings. It doesn't mean that the person didn't do those things to you. This person did exactly that. It wasn't anything else but the facts, ma'am. Exactly that. And Buddhism is not about denial in any way. Very much, again, it came up in the documentary. We hold them accountable. They must be accountable for what they do. But the very idea that somehow I can be, you know, policeman, judge, and jury and find peace, no. Why do you think those guys are so, you know, detached, you know, when they arrest you and the judge convicts you and the jury does what it does and goes home? Because if you're not, you kill yourself, you know? Like that. Thank you. 
Hi. Hi. Uh, um, if an alcoholic wants to recover, uh, you go through the step process. And when we get to step four, uh, we have to look at ourselves. And we take a full examination of our drinking life and our, well, a, a quick, our long excess assessment of our drinking life and so forth. We list all the people in our life, important people in our life first. Then we list the resentments that we have against them. And then we list the resentment was because of sex, the resentment was because of money, the resentment was because of so on and so forth. And when we get finished with that, that's part of our inventory and we see pretty much what our other character defects will be, the beauties, poisons are. But um, it's imperative that we get rid of our resentment so we will not have a sober life. And this is the same thing. And the other thing I wanted to mention was, is Pope Francis having this the year of mercy? I think this is what he's asking, particularly his fellow cardinals and bishops and archbishops, is to be merciful mm -hmm. in their judgment. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I love the fact that the word forgiveness is so powerful because it's a part of the forgiveness is a, is forgiveness is a noun, but forgive is the verb, it's an action word. Whereas peace is just the noun, it's the end of all that, where, but the forgiveness is where you have to be active. Yeah, yeah, the giving up, the every single time, back to Arnold's question, every single time I want to resent, I want to hold grudge, I have to give up, every time. And I don't know if it's, I became a year older on Wednesday, and I don't know if it's the aging process, but I am finding that easier to do because it's too much work. <laughs> yeah, it's it, yeah, and you know, like, hey, I was again, I got Sicilian and Germany, you know, and you know, so that was well, Polish and Irish. Well, okay, well, so, so yeah, it's just, and you know, if for no other reason, if you really take a look at it, you know, when people come to me, by the time they come to me to help them find forgiveness. I see they've aged, they're exhausted, and that's why, you know, I don't mean it to sound sarcastic or facetious, but the only question I've got is, how is this working for you? You know, to, to keep judging yourself over something or judging someone over something that happened so long ago. And again, it's not a denial. Again, every single representative in the documentary said this. It's not a denial of what was done to us. Okay, but we can't change what was done to us. Nothing. Condemning the person will not change it. And you know what? If this person and and this person did, she came to me and, and told me she was sorry. Didn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. No. The only thing that changes anything is my willingness to every single time forgive. That's the only thing. Roshi? Let me get her Thank you very much, first of all, for the very meaningful film. And uh, of course, um, it hit my heart in many ways, uh, living through some of the issues that were very close to home, especially 911. But um, <clears throat> forgiveness for me um, is a way to freedom. And that freedom can only be achieved by the letting go. Um, 
it is said in uh, the teachings of Tai Chi, yield to empower. <coughs> so in giving up, in surrendering, all that's been feeding the ego, the mind, and the hurt, and the resentment that plays this situation over and over, and mm -hmm. even embellishes more to the ego in a judgment. And then that whole persona begins to fill your whole being. And, and you whatever you to, resist. And as you try to walk mm -hmm. in a path of peace, you cannot even comprehend or live any kind of form of compassion because the blockage is there. That blockage is there. So as hard as it is and emotions that are attached, and it is a process, of course, not easily done, forgiveness of the other, then turns back to you in eradicating any of that anger, the resentment, the blockage of the path of peace and wellness. And it probably helps your health a lot better too. Mm -hmm. All of which uh, has been mentioned within the film. Yeah, And the freedom, the freedom is holistic. It is psychological, it is emotional, it is spiritual, and it is physical. It is holistic. The whole being is liberated from our unwillingness to continue to hold on to the narrative. And the narrative is what's causing the pain. You need to know. Again, in, without a clear understanding of how the mind is operating, which is where all that suffering is going on, all that pain is going on, without a clear understanding of how the mind is operating from moment to moment, we can only expect that resentment, that uh, uh, fear, and that anger, and that hatred to compound. We can only expect that. So when we understand that what the mind is doing is simply replaying a narrative over and over again, and when we understand that with every thought we think, every thought we think, there is a feeling and emotion attached to that. You can't feel and emote without a thought. You can't feel and emote without a thought. So when we are running the story filled of thoughts about what happened, we are reigniting, fueling, and empowering those emotions and feelings from the past as well. So the real power comes in from the Buddhist practice of detachment. Learning how to detach, or what I prefer calling not indulge the story. Mm -hmm. Not indulge the story. I wanted to uh, just uh, say something about the fourth step. Uh, we Buddhists have a short, shorter way of doing that. It's a little Dharani that says, All the evil karma ever created by me since of old, born of my thoughts, words, and actions, I now confess and purify them all. <laughs> okay? I'll remember that. Okay. <laughs> Boom, come on. <laughs> Better than confession. <laughs> Anyone else? Oh, Alan, you had something? Oh, I've changed my mind. <laughs> I think the one thing that stuck out for me is that being compassionate 
being forgiven, forgiving doesn't necessarily mean weakness. Um, you know, I, I think uh, me as like a guy, you feel like if um, somebody cuts me off in traffic, you want to, mm -hmm. you know, have that anger. And mm -hmm. the reality is there's a strength to being able to let it go and, and be compassionate well, and be it's, forgiving. It's a greater strength than the right. opposite. Being compassionate and forgiving is powerful. It's courageous. It takes guts. It takes uh, confronting. You know, I had to confront that male ego. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> talk about the male ego as you just referred to it. You know, and, and that betrayal from a woman that I loved. You know, I had to confront that. You know, and that ego clearly wanted you know, <laughs> justice. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and it took and continues to take a great deal of uh, work and courage and trust again uh, to work with that. So that's, and I thank you for mentioning that because again, I forget sometimes that there are men in the room and <laughs> we've got that testosterone. <laughs> Thanks. Anyone else? Hi. Thank you very much. It's my first time here. Oh, welcome. Um, Hope it's not your last time. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been wanting to come for Good. a while and I've always been a very compassionate human being since I was a child. But forgiveness and compassion didn't go hand in hand with me. Uh, I have two very unconscious parents. I love them. They're wonderful teachers for me. Um, but, and grudge holding also became my middle name for a long time. And it was in 2013, I realized that I was getting limitations of um, facing the memory again and again of the hurt and not being able to forgive. And um, also being tested by the community. So surrendering was, I think, a wonderful way for me to rise above my own limitations. Other thing that also helped was seeing the suffering in the person hurt me or others, uh, because this suffering is coming from their ancestors, from the parents, and um, it can really impact people if they don't um, awaken. Uh, yeah. It blocks, it's like the lady over there said, and you've also mentioned it, it creates these blockages and can make us really sick. Yeah. Many of the diseases I know for a fact are psychosomatic. It's very important to um, recognize the suffering in the person who is hurting you because from there true compassion arises for them. Yeah. Uh, they're projecting their suffering at us when they lash out. Yeah. So that's my experience. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to just uh, affirm that. Uh, when I had, uh, there had always, my family has a history of heart disease. And my father just at 87 survived and is thriving again from a serious heart operation that he had. So throughout my family's history, going back to my grandfather, um, probably before then, I'm just not aware of it, 
Uh, there's been heart disease, but a year before I had my heart attack, not even a year, about maybe seven months, my cardiologist did a, a full test of me, stress test, went up with the catheter inside, looked at everything, blah, 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 blah. I will never forget, after I came out of the hospital, after I had my heart attack, I came out of the hospital and they tell you, you know, you go see your cardiologist. I went to see this guy and the first thing out of his mouth was, I am so sorry, but we didn't see any blockage or anything. I said, I know, because it wasn't there then. I was real clear that that heart attack was a function of that event in my life. Mm -hmm and that that blockage was a function of my unwillingness to forgive. I say, real clear, real clear. So yes, I'm real clear that so much of our illnesses are all part of you know, this unwillingness on our part to liberate ourselves from the stuff that keeps us stuck, from growing and becoming. And part of that has to do with, again, our view. When the Buddha you know, wrote the prescription towards liberation in the Four Noble Truths, the first of the eight parts of that prescription was right view. And he said, if you can master this, resolve your point of view, all the others fall in place automatically. So everything begins and ends with our view of ourselves and our relationship with the world around us. And, and again, when we are resentful and holding on to anger and, and all of the other emotions, uh, our view is messed up. We see and experience ourselves as somebody over here, separate from the offender. But all of the teachings have said it for centuries. When you look at them, you're looking at you. Saying, and you know, I often write about you know how spiritual people like to tell me how they are one with the universe. Except that SOB did that to me. <laughs> so you can't say you're one with the universe. <laughs> except that SOB did that to me. You can't say that. Can't use that. Yeah, you you can't. Okay. So uh, to be one means, again, as the teachings and the movie brought out, means you have to forgive if you're going to be healthy, if you're going to be happy. You have to. Because whatever happens to the offender comes back to you. you know? And that's a wonderful story of the Sufi and the, uh, yeah. and the other gentleman. Yeah. And you know, Gandhi, ha uh, if you know anything about Gandhi's life, uh, that was his teaching also when uh, the war was going on between today the Pakistanians and the Indian people, when that whole thing was happening in Gandhi's time, uh, whenever an Indian man would kill a Pakistanian uh, man, he would tell him to go and adopt their children, and vice versa. You know? uh, so again, uh, whatever takes us outside ourself, when the story has us stuck, is what can be the gateway to our own liberation. I was really very moved by this, the educators who decided to work with children and to help them um, forgive each other and become friends with one another. I thought that was, that really brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. Because that's where it really begins. Mm -hmm. um, when we're children, 
If you remember the story of South Pacific and one of the songs, you've got to be carefully taught. You can, right. you can be taught to hate or you can be taught to love. Right. So I thought that was yeah. a very moving part. I, and, and I'm right there with you. I, I agree with that because, again, you've known me long enough to know that, again, the Buddhist emphasis on our conditioned self, which is our false self, and back to what our new sister said, you know, the, they're getting, the suffering is coming from generations past. Mm -hmm. It's coming from our parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. And I remember as a young Roman Catholic uh, getting in trouble often, but getting in trouble when I told, when I was giving a talk before a religious group at a uh, Catholic retreat center that I was running for two years for them, uh, I made the comment that um, the resurrection didn't matter to me. He had me at the cross. And what I meant by that, and I went on to explain, was you know, when you hear such things as, I'm forgiving them because they don't know what they're doing, you know, he's referring to that very teaching of the Buddha 500 years ago when he said, a person's offensive or wrongdoings is all conditional. It's what they've learned. We aren't born haters. We learn to hate. Mm -hmm. We aren't born bigots. We learn to discriminate. We are not born that way. And so, again, this is another reason why the story, which is also coming from our parents, I mean, the story, when we look at it on the 23rd, you're going to get an opportunity to look at when, when the narrative started shaping for you, the one that is your story of yourself, and how you got that. When I ask people, I, I tell the story about 27 years ago, I was in the South uh, doing some work, and uh, I came upon a family of Ku Klux Klan uh, members. And I wanted to really get a sense of that, that consciousness, that way of thinking. And I remember asking the kids... <laughs> Uh, so why do you hate black people? Because they're niggas. Yeah, but why? Because they're niggas. And this went on and went on and went on, and as the conversation went on before I was asked to leave finally, uh, it, it real, uh, I realized that they didn't have any other answer. This is what my grandfather told my father, and my father told me, and I intend to tell my kid, and my kid will probably tell their kid. And in the Torah we find the words... The sins of the fathers will be inherited by the sons. Mm -hmm. you know? So another reason, if you need a reason to forgive yourself or to forgive another, is to always remember our behavior. Because that's what we're angry about, a person's behavior. Our behavior is all learned. It's all learned. You know? None of us are born hurtful. We learn to react to certain triggers this way or that way according to you know, um, you know, what, our, what we learned as children from our parents. And I was raised by Hitler and Mussolini. Look at the miracle <laughs> I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was real clear for me. I want you to know that my father was, my father was German. And somebody offended you, man. You brought down the Reichstag on them. <laughs> and my mother was Sicilian. Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and that was it. That was what we were raised on. So, you, so you, somewhere in my life, I had to read the conscious declaration: no more of that. 
Donna? Thank you. Um, well, in the movie, and, and also a reflection of my life, um, I like the part about, uh, I forget the name, but the two fellas that came together and they were teaching people how to forgive the one man's grandson mm -hmm. killed the other boy. So in terms of that, I always look at my challenge or the obstacle, maybe the situation didn't go my way. I always look at it as an opportunity to grow and reinvent myself or do something more positive. Something not working anymore. Or I could be miserable and stuck and be miserable and stuck, right? So and and angry. So either, you know, do the forgiveness, get through it, reinvent yourself and, and make something better. What is it? Lemons and lemonade? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've tried that. It doesn't work. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <Plus you> add <laughs> sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, the hour's getting late, but I want to add one more thing that came up in the documentary, again, by Thomas Moore. And there is, again, a fundamental practice in Buddhism whereby you get to a place of acceptance. And so Moore says in the documentary, remember, you, it's not about forcing yourself to forgive. You can't manufacture this. You can't do this. Very much like when I talk about this over the years, I say to people, no one can do Zen. You can only be it. And all that we're doing here is about working up to that moment when we are it. Until then, the old adage goes, fake it until you make it. <laughs> but also what goes is this. When you find yourself unable to forgive, the most forgiving thing you can do is to forgive that. Mm -hmm. okay. So it's always about, and the, opening, uh, the words that I shared with you were written by Mark Nepo when he says, step back. Instead of lunging into the battle, step back and look at the whole mountain. So there's this meditation practice whereby I find myself stuck in an unwillingness and I step back and create the space to just be with that for now. Okay? But keep my mouth shut. Okay? You know, or, you know, don't fuel the fire. But just be honest. Always, always remember, the truth really is the only thing that sets us free. So we don't want to lie about forgiving. We don't want to do it the Sicilian way. The Sicilian way is, I forgive you, but you do it again, I will. <laughs> That's the Sicilian way. Okay? We don't want to do it that way. So we tell the truth. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready. But that doesn't give me the license to become the offender. Okay? To become the offender. And that's another thing the Pope said you know, before Congress. You know, the president brought it up the other night. The surest way to become like the terrorists is to act like the terrorists. Mm -hmm. you see? Where Jesus said to conquer the Romans make you no different than they. So to fight this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth like Gandhi said makes, every, makes the whole world blind and toothless. You know? <laughs> so uh, maybe tonight we can leave with a declaration for ourselves and for our world coming from us to be a bit more compassionate towards ourselves. You know what? Really, I, and I, I was joking earlier, but I really meant it. 
as I get older, it's just too much work holding on to all that stuff. And I, I'm just too tired, especially, you know, when God sent me a, a kid and I've got a six-year-old now. <laughs> just balancing that and all my childhood stuff, ah, forget it. I surrender, you know, the whole thing. So maybe that'll be helpful. Just remind yourself every time, you know, ask that question. How's that working? You know, all that resentment and that story about all that they did. How's that working for you? And come back on the 23rd. Register this week for the seminar on the 23rd, and we'll do the work because, again, what Moore said and the others said, it is work. And if you want to do the work with me, I'll see you on Saturday the 23rd. Okay? Anything else? I also have flyers for the, yes. for the February relationship seminar. Too. Didn't they give you the one for Saturday? The 23rd? Yeah. There should be one for February and, and oh, the 23rd. They were both in there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Make sure everybody in this room gets one. Yes. <laughs> okay. As always, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You could have been anywhere else tonight, and I realize that. And you came to spend it with me. So it was a privilege being with you. If you could stand a moment. By the power and the truth of our efforts this eve, may all beings everywhere be free of sorrow and suffering and the causes of sorrow and suffering. May each of us and those we love and care about be free of sorrow and suffering and the causes of sorrow and suffering. May all beings everywhere be content and possess the causes for contentment and abundant prosperity. This is our prayer. This is our intention. Permit me to respectfully remind you, birth and death is the supreme matter. Everything is of the nature of impermanence. Gone, gone, forever gone. Opportunity is too often lost. Do not squander your life. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you.